Okay, how's everybody doing today? Good to see everybody. You may be wondering about my props up here. Hey, hey. Marty with props. This could be dangerous. <laughs> turn in your uh, turn in your Bibles. Be turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter six. Yeah, the uh, campus ministry is uh, at their retreat down in Orange County, and I'm sure they're having a great time. I understand that we had a great number of visitors that they had invited that uh, were coming out, so uh, really excited to hear about that, and uh, hopefully they'll have a great time. We miss them. You know, there's their block of seats right there that... You know, no one sat in, uh, <laughs> you know, for, uh, for fear that the college students would get after you. But uh, today, uh, the sermon today is going to be uh, entitled, Give and it will be given to you. Now, all the sectors of the Lifeway Church today are preaching on giving. And so this is a, a message on giving. Now, don't start twitching. Uh, you know, uh, I, I'm not. The, the point of this is not necessarily to, for you to give more money, uh, but it is a topic that we do need to talk about from time to time. And, and as a minister, I got to tell you, I don't like to talk about money much. And I've actually even been challenged by some that I need to preach on money more. Uh, so, uh, you know, for me, it's a little bit of an awkward topic, but it is, it is a topic. And we're going to see it right here in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus talks about money. Verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. He sets up this, you know, contrasting thing. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so Jesus sort of lays out that there's this big uh, tug of war for most people. Are they going to love money and the things that money can bring into their life, or are they going to love God? And seemingly they are very much at opposites with each other. Look over to Luke chapter 6. And this is uh, where I get the title. The title is, Give and it will be given to you. In uh, chapter 6, Luke 6, verse 38. Jesus has given, it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured out into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now you may have noticed my props here. I have, first of all over here, Measuring spoons, uh, a tablespoon, and then all the way down to a quarter of a teaspoon. This is a cup, and this is uh, uh, oh, I, I'm on the leader's side. That's why I, I couldn't read it. Uh, this is uh, eight cups. Now, Jesus says an interesting thing here. Given will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, running over, will be poured out into your lap. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, how many of us would like to be blessed by God? (laughs) Who wouldn't, right? And we all pray often that God would bless us, right? But Jesus says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, you have to think about your giving. Would your giving be better described as this? This? Or this? That's a question that you, know, you have to answer in your own heart and mind, right? Because your giving is between you and God. 
But Jesus does say, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. God, bless me. What do we mean when we say that? We mean, God, bless me! Right? Pour it out into my life. Oh, man. That's how we want God to bless us. But how are we giving? It would take a long time to make those teeth. Maybe we're we're in the middle. You know? I don't know where you're at. But I do know that Jesus did say, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I remember the first time when I was a kid, I saw a minister use this analogy. I never forgot it. It's just one of those, you know, demonstrations. You're like, oh, okay, that's what that passage means. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So Jesus talked about giving. Now let's go on a little bit of a tour here. Look over to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. And of course, uh, we know Acts 2 is, uh, of course, the birth of the church, right? And uh, in, uh, in verse uh, 36, they say, hey, uh, they're cut to the heart. Verse 37, uh, what do we do? And Peter responds, repent and be baptized. It comes on down. And in verse 40, it says, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So the church is born in Jerusalem. Over 3,000 members. In verse 42, it talks about they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, blah, blah. Come on down to verse 45. This is how they got money, apparently, in the first church. It says, selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. So, you've got to realize, you've got Jewish people from all over the Roman world that have come on into Jerusalem for the Feast of the Pentecost. A bunch of them got baptized. They're staying in the homes of the people that lived in Jerusalem there. And every once in a while they needed money. And so someone would go out and sell something that they had. Richer people. Look over to chapter 4. And chapter 4, let's come along. It says, verse 32, All the believers were one in heart and mind. So a great amount of unity that they have there in the church. Come on down to verse 34. It says, uh, There was uh, no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. So apparently this is, this is a theme of how, how did they deal with the financial needs of running the church here in Jerusalem? Is that people who had things went out and sold them, even land and homes that they had. So there must have been some wealthier people that they had multiple homes and they had an extra one so they went out and they sold it. And they brought the money and they put it at the apostles' feet or they gave it to the leadership of the church and say, hey, distribute this as every... You know, we don't know all the needs. We know that you probably have a good idea of what the needs are. You distribute the money. Okay, look on a little further on to Acts 11. Just trying to get an idea here of the early church and what they did. Acts 11 and verse 27. You guys there? Getting there? 
Okay, actually, let's pick it up in verse 25. It says, And Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So the church at Antioch now is growing, and this is a little bit of a different kind of church. The church at Jerusalem was almost uh, all probably Jewish converts. Now they're baptizing people that are Gentiles and Jews. And so the Antioch church is a little bit unique. It says, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now, by the way, let me give you a little bit of a, a geographical uh, understanding. When it says that they came down from Jerusalem, Jerusalem is actually in the mountains. And so they came down, is what it's saying there, to Antioch. Antioch is actually north of Jerusalem, if you look at it on a map. But anyway, they came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them... Named Agabus. You know, if you're looking for a name for your child, there you go. Uh, Agabus. uh, I've never known anyone named Agabus, but hey, you you can go a Bible name. There you go. Uh, Stood up and through the Spirit predicted a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. Notice in in parentheses there, it says this happened during the reign of Claudius. In other words, uh, Luke is writing this saying, hey, this actually did happen. The disciples, each according to his ability. Now that's an interesting little phrase right there. Each according to his ability. Decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. They did this, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And so this is not a collection made to take care of the needs of the church at Antioch. It's actually what we would call a special contribution. Is that they said, hey... The guys over in Jerusalem are going to be going through a hard time. Let's raise some money here and send it down to the church in Jerusalem. And that they did. Uh, and they sent it with Barnabas and Saul as they went uh, uh, back, uh, as it would be geographically down or, or south, to, uh, to Jerusalem and gave them the money. So you've got, you've got sort of, how did they do it locally? People sold things and they gave it to the leaders. Uh, the money to the leaders and they took care of the needs. They even did special kind of things, sending it off to other places where there were needs in other places. We do that with our missions contribution, right? We send uh, our money to Moscow. Moscow doesn't actually use that because the church there has been self-supporting for a number of years. But they then become the distributing uh, uh, point for our money going primarily to Central Asia and you know the other areas of, uh, of Russia. Okay, now, look over to 1 Corinthians 16. Do a little Bible study here, and I'm going to get down uh, to some specifics for us. But 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to look uh, for the rest of our time here. We're going to study what Paul says to the church in Corinth about giving, and we're going to plug that in to our life. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1. Now, about the collection... For God's people. So he's talking about the collection they're going to take that's going to be sent eventually back to Jerusalem. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. Now this is interesting because we have now a sense of he's telling the church at Corinth what he told the churches of Galatia. These are multiple churches. So he has sort of the way that they're doing it. Do what I told them to do. So I'm going to tell you what I told them as well. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with this income. And we see that in, in this passage and also in the one in Acts 11, right? That you give according to what you have. 
according to the income that you have. Not everybody makes the amount, uh, same amount of money in, in those days and in our days. It says, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. Uh, if, if, uh, if it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. So he's talking about this collection that they're going to send to Jerusalem. And he's saying, here's how I would advise you to do this. So you don't feel real panicked at the last moment. On the first day of every week, set aside a sum of money. So that when I come then, you're not going to have to be all rattled and, oh, no, 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 I'm way behind and I don't know if I can get the money. He says, save it up and so that when I get there then, we'll be ready to go. You see what he's saying? Okay, so go out of 1 Corinthians now and go to 2 Corinthians. And I want to to, to set this up a little bit in chapter 7 to show you a couple different comments he makes to the brothers and sisters there, to the church, about how much he likes them. Which I think is really interesting as a minister. In chapter 7, verse 2, he says, Make room for us in your hearts. We've wronged no one, we've corrupted no one, we've exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. As I have said before, you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. Now notice this. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. So is he upset with them? Not at all. He's saying, I really like you guys. I have total confidence in you. Now bear in mind, if you're much of a Bible uh, studier, you know that in 1 Corinthians, he has to go after them pretty hard about division. Because that, this is where he says, hey, you know, some say I follow Paul, some say I follow uh, uh, Peter, some say I follow Jesus, and, and he challenges them really hard about unity. So he challenges them really hard, but he really likes them. Look a little further on in, in, uh, in chapter 7 there to uh, sort of the, the uh, paragraph beginning in verse 13 where it says, in addition to our encouragement. You, you see where I'm at? You guys following me? Okay. It says, in addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. He says, hey, you guys really built up and encouraged Titus. I had boasted to him about you. And you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is uh, all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. Wow! He is incredibly encouraging to them and saying great things to them. Uh, uh, Titus had gone there and apparently he had boasted to Titus about them. And then Titus got there and he was like, wow, these people are great. He came back to Paul and he's boasting to Paul about them. 
about how they had received him uh, so warmly and so lovingly. So when we go into chapter 8 now, we're talking about giving. He didn't change his mood. You understand what I'm saying? His, his idea toward them is very positive. I complete confidence in you. You're doing uh, wonderful things. I super appreciate the way you treated Titus and all that kind of thing. Okay, now, let's flow into chapter 8. Because he has just said, I have complete confidence in you. He says, and now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Interestingly, he's talked about the Galatian churches earlier. Now he's talking about the Macedonian churches. So these are areas of, of uh, what today we have known, sort of the Roman world or, or the ancient Roman world, uh, Asia Minor, sort of in that area. Said, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testified that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had made an earlier beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that you might, through His poverty, become rich. And here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were not only uh, the, the first to want to give, but also have the desire to do it. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. All the, all, at, at, at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Okay, so he, he flows right in to talk to them about their giving and, the, and some principles of giving. Now let's have a little bit of an audience participation. In those first, whatever I said there, 15 verses of, of chapter 8, what did he say there about giving that hits you or that strikes you or that you noticed? Willingness. I'm sorry? Willingness. Willingness. He's, he's talking about, uh, I want you to be willing to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Their attitude about giving, their cheerfulness, their, that they're happy to do it. Okay, good. Yeah, John. Okay, the giving is an act of grace. Yeah. I thought it was interesting talking about uh, the test of sincerity of your love, comparing it with the earnestness of others. So, not necessarily competition, but hey, where's your heart? But there is a, it, it, giving is a test 
of sort of where are you at and how do you feel about giving, giving money. We're, we're talking about money here. Yeah, Jose. Uh, the gift is acceptable not according to the size, but the heart with which it's given. Exactly. And that, that fits really well. We're not going to read this, but remember when Jesus was standing uh, and he says, uh, and he noticed the rich were bringing in their gifts at the temple area, Luke 21, and then he sees the, the widow comes in. And, uh, and she gives just two small copper coins. And he says, she gave more than they gave. Well, from a monetary point of view, that clearly wasn't true, was it? They gave a lot more than she did. You know, this is a lot more than this, isn't it? The rich were throwing in their money. The poor widow was putting her money in. But when we give, it's not just a judgment of a monetary amount. What did it cost you to give what you gave? It cost that woman this. She gave this, but Jesus says, the value is this. Now, you have to ask yourself, does God need your money? No. No. He doesn't need your money. Cattle on a thousand hills belong to God. That's the Old Testament version of of saying God owns it all anyway. God is judging and looking at the heart, your heart, my heart, in our giving. It's not just what you give in a dollar amount. It's what you give in a sense of how much sacrifice was involved in you giving what you gave. What did it cost you to to give, uh, if you understand what I'm saying? Okay, now, let's skip uh, a little bit in, in the chapter here. Go on down and let's pick it up in verse 24. Okay? Yeah, everybody there? Yeah. Chapter 8, verse 34. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. And it flows right in now to chapter 9. There's no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians. So he, he's boasting to the Macedonians about them. And what did he say in the beginning of chapter 8? He says that, that he, uses, he uses the Macedonians as an example for them. That's interesting. He's boasting to the Macedonians about them, and the Macedonians are the example for them. You understand what I'm saying? He says, telling them uh, about your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as you should be. For if, uh, if any Macedonians come uh, with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. <laughs> He's saying, hey, you guys don't embarrass me here, okay? Uh, and, 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 uh, and he goes on in verse 5, he says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements so that the, uh, for the generous gift that you had promised, then it would be ready as a generous gift and not one grudgingly given. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. 
And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man or each person, each woman, man and woman, should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things and all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, He who scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. Now he supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and your generosity in sharing with them and with everybody else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you Thanks be to God for this incredible gift. Okay, a lot of reading there. And hopefully I I didn't read too much, but I wanted to put everything into a context of what he's saying uh, about giving. And there's a lot that's said here. I've got two main points I want to sort of help us close this together and bring it to an end. Number one, how should you give? It's And point one is a question. And I'm going to give you the answer by the words that we just read. There's one, two, three, four, five, six. There's seven different things that I wrote down here. How should you give? You should give as you have been blessed. That's a principle of giving. You give as you've been blessed. Let's say that, that a person has a job and, and they're making uh, you know $500 a week. Well, they would give an appropriate amount of money because they made $500 a week, right? Let's suppose they, they got a new job and they're making $5,000 a week. So they went from 500 to 5,000, just a zero. It's not that big of a deal, uh, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but but they went from 500 to 5,000. Well, then you say, well, should that have any impact on their giving? Well, it certainly should. You should give as you've been given to. If you understand what I'm saying, okay? You should give generously. Now you say, well, that's a little. That's a little vague. What is generously? Well, you're going to have to figure that out. What is generosity? You're going to have to think about that. Does God think you give generously? That's a super, super legitimate question for you to ask. Now, sometimes people say, well, you should give a tithe. You know, in the Old Testament, it talks about tithing. It talks about it a lot. We're not even going to go there. Because we're really looking at what did the New Testament Christians do. That's really the, the study that we're doing right now. And you say, well, is tithing something we should do? Well, you need to ask yourself, is tithing generosity? I would say it is. But I also would say that if tithing, if you don't ever get beyond tithing, then tithing for you has become a law. Instead of generosity. 
If you understand what I'm saying, the difference there. You should give cheerfully. If if you can't give cheerfully, you shouldn't give. He even says, you should give eagerly. You should give consistently. Enthusiastically. Sacrificially. Now, the only word I sort of wiggled on a little bit was consistently. Because in 1 Corinthians 16, he says, at the beginning of every week. So, I'm, I'm going to use the word consistently for that, okay? So, g- give me that wiggle room. These are all the words uh, and wordings that, that, that you should look at. How should you give? As you've been blessed, generously, cheerfully, eagerly, consistently, enthusiastically, sacrificially. How you should give. Now, let's, let's briefly look. How should you not give? Because he actually says not on it. You should not give grudgingly. I don't really want to, but I think I have to. If that's that's what's going on in your heart, what should you do? Don't give. You say, well, the church won't have the money then. Listen, God doesn't need your money. He's got all the money He needs. You should not give grudgingly. You should not give reluctantly. Well, I don't know. Well, if you don't know, don't give. You shouldn't give reluctantly. God doesn't want that kind of giver. You should not give under compulsion. Well, I think I have to. Or God's going to be upset at me. I have to. Uh, for whatever reason that you come through in your own mind. Paul specifically talks about don't give if that's what's going on in your heart. If, if it's begrudgingly, reluctantly, and under compulsion. How should your giving be? And this is really, I, I think, important for us to sort of really zero in on. What should be going on in your heart and mind, in your soul, your inner being, when you give what you give to the Lord? You should give as you've been blessed. You should give generously, cheerfully, eagerly, consistently, enthusiastically, and sacrificially. Those things should be going on in you. In other words, you feel great about what you're doing. And that's all just from the text that we read. Point number two here. What does your giving show? I mean, a number of times here, I wrote down four different things that he says, by you doing this, this is what it shows about you. Okay? That you are thankful to God. That that's one of the motivations, the internal. That you're thankful to God. You know, if I look at my life, I say, wow, do I think God has been good to me? I can just start, yeah, 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 yeah. And go on down the list. Now, has my life been perfect? Has everything worked out just, you know, perfect? No. But that, God never really promised that that's going to happen in your life. You know, that nobody, as a matter of fact, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. 
<laughs> so, you know, uh, some of us ought uh, to feel like, well, I'm living that out, man. Uh, uh, you know, Jesus said it was going to be rough sometimes, and, and your life and my life sometimes is rough. But if I look at the, the sort of the broader picture of my life, wow, I have been blessed, and I am thankful to God, because I believe God has been the author of the, the great things, uh, happy things that have happened in my life. So, uh, uh, giving shows that you're thankful. Uh, Giving shows that you are proving yourself. He says, you are proving yourself. You're proving your love by your giving. Now, let's go back to the first passage we read where Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. He's laying out this, this titanic battle that goes on in every one of our lives. Am I going to serve God? Am I going to serve money? And money is a broader description of, uh, of the things of the world, the, the, the things that, are, are, uh, you know, that money can buy or whatever. What is going to be the guiding force of your life? I want to please God or I want to get rich. I want to do God's will or I want to do my will. He says you can't do either one. Now we do struggle with this. I struggle with this. You struggle with this, don't we? This is the struggle of life that we go through. How am I going to live? What's going to be the most important thing for me? Is it going to be God? Or is it going to be the other things that it could be in my life? Money and your attitude towards your money as it pertains to giving is a big litmus test. That's why he says you prove yourself by what you did as it pertains to to this contribution. So how we give our heart and, and how we perform in this area of our Christian life proves something about us. It says something about us. If you understand what I'm saying. Thirdly, he talks about your eagerness to help. That they were eager to help. They, they understood that, the, that the, the, the church in Jerusalem had some real uh, problems. And, and they were eager. They were really desiring, hey, I want to get in there. I want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And that, that's one of my big, you know, uh, this book I'm writing, you guys all know about the Martyisms and all that. that that's, that's a big Martyism right there. Be a part of the solution, not part of the problem. They were eager to be part of the solution. Now you say, well, wait a minute. I mean, I'm not that big of a part of the solution. You say, I, I'm, not, I'm just going to pick a, a number out of, uh, out of the hat here. That you give $30 a week. Okay, you say, wow, $30 a week. Yeah, that's not really a solution to anything. You can't even go out to eat, uh, you know, at, at IHOP for, for $30. How can I be part of the solution for $30? You're part of the solution because your heart is being demonstrated as, as uh, uh, that I, I'm in. I know I don't have much money, but dang it, I'm in. I'm doing the best I can and I'm fired up to do it. God judges that heart, sees that heart. He imprints that heart on all of us. You understand what I'm saying? Because, you know, no, no, nobody expects a person that doesn't have a lot of money to give a lot of money. If, if they do, they're stupid. They don't have a lot of money. How can they give a lot of money? They can only give as they've been blessed. But if, but if, but if you're giving as you've been blessed and you're, you're eager to help, even if the amount is not a huge amount, it shows who you are. 
You're eager to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And then this last thing I put down here is maturity. He doesn't actually use the word maturity, but I think, I think it's fair to say that. That when a person gives in a responsible way, it shows that they are mature spiritually. That they understand things. You know, i got to say, when I was growing up, going to church, and my mom and dad put money in, in the contribution plate. Of course, back then we did it by checks. Uh, now, you know, a lot of us are doing it online. Uh, but then, you know, there wasn't an online to online it. So, you know, <laughs> everybody, you either put in cash or you put in a check. And I knew that what my mom and dad gave. And I was like, holy cow, why are you giving so much money to the church? I was a kid. I didn't get it. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, hey, if I, you, you're giving that money to church, I, I, I can't weasel in, you know, and, and get part of it. But you know what? Now, as an adult myself, I look back and I'm proud of my parents. They, they, they were doing what God would have had them to have done. They, they were giving generously. They were giving uh, as, God, uh, God, as God had blessed them. And frankly, it was a good example for me. You know, I didn't appreciate it at the time. You know, you guys down here on the front row, you may not appreciate a lot of things about your parents right now. But if you live long enough, you'll look back and say, you know, mom wasn't that dumb. You know, dad, dad was actually a little smarter than I gave him credit for. <laughs> you know, because you learn more about life and, and, and you become mature and you have a mature way of looking at things. Okay, let me wrap this up. I started with Jesus' great comment, right? With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I hope this. I hope nobody here feels like, man, Marty is just crashing down about giving. If, if, if you got that impression, that's not what I hoped for. I hope this would be a good Bible study for us. But I want us to really think through this. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And this isn't just about money. It's about a lot of things. You know, all of us, we want to have people love us. Love me like this! And we're loving like this. You know, be nice to me like this! And, you know, we're doing this. If you aren't saying what I'm saying, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It's a great remembrance that God does see what we give. He's aware of the sacrifice that's involved or isn't involved with what we give and how we're conducting this area of our life. It is a fair statement, brothers and sisters and friends, that you should look and observe and ask the hard questions of yourself. Am I giving as God would have me to give? At the end of the day, it doesn't make any difference what the person next to you is thinking about your giving. It doesn't make any difference what the person next to you is giving. It does make a huge difference. Of how you look at yourself and how you perform in this area of your Christian responsibility. I hope our study today has sort of taken you a little bit into the deep end of the pool and and thinking uh, about this. I don't want to preach on giving all the time. I, I can tell you that. That's just not in my heart, not in my mind. But I also think this, if I never preach on it, I'm not fulfilling my duty. I mean, there's times when we have to sincerely uh, uh, and, and maybe even pointedly look at, at, at por- portions of the Scriptures that make us uncomfortable. 
you know, there was a time before we became Christians that almost any part of the Bible made us uncomfortable. (laughs) Maybe we've narrowed it down to three now, you know. I hope Marty doesn't preach on any of these three today. But, you know, uh, uh, it's uh, it's a portion of our Christian life that we need to look at. We need to be... uh, uh, sincere about it. We need to uh, have all those feelings and, and those uh, those uh, descriptions about our our giving as we've been blessed generously, cheerfully, eagerly, consistently, enthusiastically, sacrificially. Brothers and sisters, it's an honor for Chris and I to be your servants, and we're we're proud of you. Uh, now we won't be here next Sunday. Uh, <laughs> We uh, we we're we're doing the marriage retreat in Hawaii. Uh, I didn't ask for that job. Anthony called me and asked. I didn't offer myself for that job. He asked, uh, but when he did, I took him up on it. Uh, but, but we'll uh, we'll be gone next weekend. You guys have a great weekend. God be with you.